Hey all, we got some known mic issues on Elliot for this episode. We fixed it for next week, so I apologize for this week. Nothing we can do about it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 178, and we're in chapters 38 through 43 of The Hero of Ages. Elliot, how are you? Doing excellent. As usual, after reading a Brandon Sanderson book, I'm enjoying this one. Definitely enjoying this one. Oh. Likewise. Um, at the time that this is out, I believe it'll be, it'll definitely be New Year's because we're close to New Year's here as we record. Um, and so this New Year, just this is unrelated. I've been going to, I'm going to start rereading the Stormlight Archive, the, the main series. Um, and I'm curious to see what tidbits I pick up on reread. So that's super exciting. Uh, but as far as Mistborn here, Hero of Ages, super excited as well. Lots of great stuff to talk about this week. We do. We will get a full summary of events from Elliot after the intro, but suffice it to stay suffice it to say there are some very interesting things in 38 through 43. All right, Elliot, would you like to summarize it for us? Sure. After 38, we hang out with Spook and Sazed and Spook is still trying to figure out what to do against Quellian, the citizen who is taking control of, of the city. The city's name, Urto, isn't that the name of the city? Yeah, Orto. That they they pronounce it with more of an O than a U in the in the book, okay. so Orto. So in, in Orto, there's to that. Stays it and Breeze are also trying to strategize how they're going to help overthrow this little mini warlord that's taken over there. 39 takes us back to Hensoon, and we get uh, we get a little listen. We get some education on how conjure work and their blessings and how it ties into hemolurgy. We we get a lot, a lot of information dumped in 39, so sure. Chapter 40, our, our heroes learn more about Polos, and they start to put together a lot of what we've learned about hemolurgy, and so all the, a lot of the pieces are starting to come together for at least, uh, at least Ellen, I think, at this point, is starting to understand quite a bit. In Chapter 41, we get a pretty epic scene where Spook does save a, a young girl from execution by a burning building. I didn't know burning building was a was an option for execution, but apparently it is. And uh, let's see. Oh, we get Marsh. We get Marsh perspective. That's right. And he uh, he infiltrates Luthadel and gets a spike embedded in Penrod, which is, is pretty huge. Very very detailed. Pen to fail, but actually succeed at what you were going after. Get the spike in his heart, and then we wrap up forty three with Vin and Ellen showing up to another ball, and that's it. Sounds good. Yeah, that's it. That's you know, see you all next week. The end of the book. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the chapter with Ten Soon is actually the one that I am, well, second most interested to talk about. We get quite a few like direct answers from Ten Soon about how conjure work, and I don't know if I was really expecting 
to get this information right here. Um, but he pretty much answers for us exactly what the blessings are, how Chondra work, how you go from Mistwraith to Chondra, and etc. etc. So, Elliot, what did you think of this? It's it's all done with hemolurgy, I guess. Yeah, I expected it to be something. I don't know what I expected, but for some reason didn't. It wasn't guessing it was going to be just straight up hemolurgy. Right. It's taking this inanimate. It's not inanimate. It's more less sentient creature, the the mist wraith, and bringing to it the awareness, the thought, the emotions that come with kind of life through hemology, which is pretty cool. And we get definitions for all the blessings. I actually learned something as I was reading, as I started trying to be a research. Tensoon uses the word sapience. Okay. And I, I, I scratched my head because the word that I usually use for that kind of awareness or is sentience. And so I looked up, well, what's the difference between sapience and sentience? And they're similar, but apparently, according to Google, sapience is more like thought and rationality, and sentience is more emotion and instinct. And so okay. sapience kind of leans towards the direction of like AI, more logic and rationality, whereas sentience is like humanity, the emotional instinct side of things. And interesting that Tensoon uses the word sapient instead of sentience, but that, that might be a complete bunny trail. Definitely learned a lot. I have to say, as a, as a kind of an aside, this this whole process, like this is the magic system, and this process of a mist wraith becoming a chondra is like the application of a magic system somewhat, right? And I just have to say, it seems very not magical. You know, hemology, yeah. I feel like maybe the least magical magic system we've seen. I'm like, one, it's very, I mean, I still don't, I'm not going to act like I fully understand it still right now, but it's very logical of like, do this equals this, you know? Right. Whereas, like, I feel like others, you have to kind of, like, learn to command or to use or to harness, like, a power. This is, like, put this stick in that person here. Then it works, you know? Right. And it's very non-magical. And, and then just, like, the, the grotesqueness of it, you know? It's not like someone was flooded with stormlight or this, like, investiture, like whatever something kind of pretty and magical and stuff it was just like we stuck some rods in him yeah now he has superpowers you know like it's just kind of kind of crazy to me anyways that's just my tidbit it's not that helpful but uh i was thinking it so now i have to say it yeah i do think it's interesting that i hesitate to use the word science like there's a science behind it or a or maybe math behind it but like you like you said there's a formula of if you do this 
this way, this will happen every time. Whereas other magic systems that we've seen from Brandon aren't necessarily that cut and dry. So what about the, uh, the blessings, the blessing of potency, the blessing of presence. Um, those are the two, I believe those are the two spikes that Tensoon has hidden. Um, so that would, so let me get this straight. I think he returns. Does he return to the homeland without his own blessing because he thinks they're going to take it from him? So he like stashes it and then returns without it. Well, what I got from one of the biggest things I got from the chapter was that their blessing is actually what is providing them their sapience is the word he uses. Right. So I, I think he can't he can't be without one. Okay. So or that, he wouldn't be a conjurer. So does he have one and pick up the other? I think so. Okay. Because if they if they were to take his blessing, I think they would take away his almost his soul. His, yeah, his mind yeah yeah and so or sir had one of them and he took it off of his dead body when he killed him and then he stashed it but then i yeah okay right. so then he kept his own okay the I, I do think it's interesting that both Kondra and Kolos are kind of just this byproduct of hemolurgy more than like their own real what sort of link for it? species, I guess. Like Coloss are just dead humans with spikes in them. And then Chondra are alive mistrates with spikes in them. So I don't know. I, I guess I was expecting more division between Chondra and uh mistrates than it's just a matter of a hemolytic spike or two. I mean, they're basically scientific experiments. Right. Right? You mentioned science. Hemolurgy is a lot like science. It was just experimenting with hemolurgy. And, oh, wow, if I do this with all these human bodies, it becomes a colossus. I could build an army with this. And you, you can just kind of see the progression of if we do this, and then this happens, and if we do this, and this happens... And yeah, you along the way you get conjuring, and along the way you get Olas, which kind of the same thing. One with a mistrace body and one with a human body. Yeah. Anything else on Conjure? Do we learn anything else in that chapter? To what Elliot was saying, it's kind of like a Frankenstein's monster kind of oh, yeah. experiment, I think. Yeah. Adding to that, it was just like, well, we could we could make this work again, you know. Um, and something else I was going to add also to what Trevor was saying at first, you're talking about how I don't, I'm paraphrasing you, but just kind of like, you know, what makes a Chondra and what makes a, um, a Coloss isn't necessarily that wild or I'm saying magical again. It's like, it's just a couple of spikes that, that make them like move from something more simplistic, I guess, to, to something more complex. But uh, this would actually be something that I would be curious to hear more of Brandon's thought process on of of this magic system. Because I think all the other magic systems, I feel like I could point to something 
with like a notable complexity you know like breaths there's a lot of complexity and like the heightenings and what it unlocks for you stormlight there's a lot of stuff um that i don't want to talk about uh, without a spoiler veil but there's there's stuff with stormlight there's um with the metals even there's a lot of metals that are like obscure and there's a lot that do a lot of weird abstract things um and stuff but the 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 hemology it seems a little bit like the odd one out i don't mean to just make this a hemology talk but i wouldn't call it the odd one out i just think we don't see maybe what the complexity of it or if you will like that kind of thing is I don't know if we see that. And I would be curious to hear from Brandon, like his perspective of like, why did he choose this? Did he choose it uh, art- artistically as like a, this is a grotesque, like uh, a kind of shocking system that like has an effect on the reader, right? Because you see it as gross and, you know, you associate pain and all the things, right? Or is there like, another purpose for it i guess I, I would be curious to know i'm sure i'm sure there's words of brandon out there somewhere that i don't know about or maybe he talked about it more but that's something that i'd be curious to know i'm curious what you would think if you had read lantris and i and i may bring this back up after you read a lantris because there's one more major magic system that we've seen that you haven't read yet um that might give you more context for like, it might help you frame hemolurgy and its strict rules a little better. Um, his Elantris acts very differently than everything else. So I'm currently like a chapter and a half in, so I'll be there soon, you know, I'm almost wondering if the complexity with hemolurgy is going to come with its interaction with the other systems. It's we've we've seen hemolurgy be able to essentially steal allomancy. I'm not sure I've fully wrapped my head around how maybe ferrochemy and hemolurgy might play together, but hemolurgy basics are fairly straightforward, which I feel like I've got a good understanding of at this point. You spike somebody and you steal their power either alimantic or just i think at one point we got an epigraph that told us you spike just a random person and you get tiniest amount of power right now resides in your spike and then go implant your hemologic spike in somebody else and you powers or abilities and how you do that matters but how that plays with Alamancy, how that plays with Ferrochemy, how it plays with other systems, if that's even possible. Like maybe there's the, the possibilities get infinite. Yeah. Spiking of spiking and pulling it into other magic systems gets really weird really fast. So that could get strange if somebody took it off of uh Gadriel. Let's jump over to Vin and Elland. We get two chapters from Vin and Elland in this episode. The first one is they kind of have a a bivouac set up out front of uh, Fadrex. And 
they pull their leaders together and they have a meeting about ruin. The, this is their first time that they're like telling everybody in the group about ruin. And they discuss how Kolos are made and they don't know how Conjure are made yet, but they talk about Kolos, they talk about um, spikes and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they are really trying to figure out exactly why Ruin is doing the moves that he's doing. So they they go and they try to make maps of where the Coloss are moving and what exactly is happening in the greater scheme, not just... They don't really care about Fadrex. All they want to see is the the tablet, the metal etching in the... Um, in the storage cache. But beyond that, they're really trying to figure out, okay, what is Ruin doing? And right in the middle of this, some of the soldiers have like a brawl, and there's the term the mist fallen has has a has arisen from the soldiers that were affected by the mist but recovered. Um they they are deemed the mist fallen and they're kind of ostracized from the rest of the army which demu is included in that so ellen's army is kind of falling apart here because he's not getting reinforcements and who he has with him is uh they're kind of having some issues what did you guys think of uh this scene that this meeting scene it felt like our heroes were getting a lot of information that we've already had for a little while mm, yeah We've kind of figured out hemallergy. We've kind of figured out Coloss at this point. They're just kind of putting all the pieces together. But yeah, we're still still stuck with a lot of questions about Ruin. We know, I think we know Ruin's motive is to ruin, make the world pure chaos. Yet do it in a very systematic and precise way, apparently. But what are the near-term motives what are the next steps that everyone is going to take and more importantly what in the world can our heroes even do about it right i i, I think that's the big question is can we can we even stop ruined? yeah they elliot going back to you we've gone back and forth on this a couple times is the mist of ruin is the sixteen percent thing of ruin, or is it of something else? Yeah, I don't know. It feels very ruinish. It seems like it's not good. Ruin is trying to destroy the world. Mist is a part of that. Block the sun. They can't grow food. I yeah I don't know but the the whole the very precise sixteen percent of people get get struck by the the mist and all that does that align with the what seems like it should be more chaotic methods right. of of ruin we, we, we've talked about ruin is trying to take order and create chaos entropy mm-hmm. ruin is trying to just wreck the world. Albeit maybe in a logical way. So 
in a being like that act so precisely? I think so, but maybe not. Yeah, the, the I think whole, it's ruined. The whole sixteen percent thing seems so surgical to be yeah. to be ruined. It's too accurate to the man, as they say, and that's what is flagging them on it. Is if this was ruined, why is it sixteen percent? Why isn't it one hundred percent? You know, like <laughs> I don't know. All right, I want to talk about Spook. Do we have anything else for the Mistfallen? We'll get back to the ball here in a second, but I want to talk about Spook. I also want to talk about Spook. Okay, so Spook, we get a POV chapter from him. He goes into the burning building, saves the the innocent young girl and uh, the other nine people in there, or however many people there are. And he's he has now the moniker the survivor of the flames from the people of Orto, which is a direct reference to the survivor of Kelsier. And Spook has this voice in his head who he calls Kelsier. And this chapter is really where you really start thinking what is going on with this voice. Because Kelsier, I, I believe the chapter, I might be wrong with this, but I believe the chapter starts with you, the voice saying, you might have to kill them. And then when he gets into the building, the voice Kelsier says, or screams, kill them. And where have we heard that before? Just a voice screaming, kill them over and over. Z uh sorry. <laughs> Zane. <laughs> Zane. Zane. Mm-hmm. And did we ever get a confirmation on what who Zane was talking to? All we it know is that it was something external from him. Right. Right. We got confirmation that he was not insane. Right. Or at least the voice was telling him he wasn't insane. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. But then we we compared that directly soon after that to Marsh. We we learned yeah. Yeah. too long after that that Marsh was hearing the kill them in his head. So, yeah, the, this voice in, in Spook's head just seems too similar. So, either they're all hearing Ruin, or none of them are hearing Ruin. Okay, is what I would say. Yeah. If 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 Zane and Marsh are hearing Ruin, Spook is too. If for somehow some reason there's a twist and Marsh and Zane were not hearing Ruin. And okay, maybe Spook is hearing something different. Okay. I think it's a decent summation. Elliot, you have, not for the first time, uh, you have the word addiction next to Spook in the outline here. Uh, what, what makes you say addiction? Yeah, there's bits that are really starting to surface now Yeah, in Spook's interactions here of it's not just the oh, maybe this is going to turn into addiction. I think this is full on addiction. To the it's hard to pin it on one thing specifically. It, it's like it's to the to the magical power itself. He has gained the ability for a pewter 
after having a rather not so healthy relationship with Tin. And now we see in one of these chapters where he wants to, he, he gets he's he's relishing in the power of pewter and already he's yearning for oh if I if I just was a misboard, if I just had the power of everyone else has, and it's classic symptoms of addiction. You, you can't you can never have enough. You always need more. You find that new high and you just want the next one. And whatever it is, substance addiction, video game, whatever it is. Often manifests like this, always having to satisfy that desire and never being able to. Yeah. What does uh, what does Kelsier tell him? He Spook says, Spook says, "I'm not you, Kelsier. I can't do that." And Kelsier responds with, "Not yet." Yeah. Not yet. Creepy line. Yeah. How do y'all feel about this whole thing where people are saying Spook is, or or we may say Spook is kind of like next Kelsier or something like that. He's taking on a similar style of role, and I'm curious to know what y'all think about it. Um, I think it's interesting what you said earlier about the addiction because you're absolutely, I, th- I think you're pretty spot on with that. Of it's like uh, you could maybe add to addiction or or sub substitute for addiction like greed. Of of, uh, Spook was the good guy, kind of an underdog kind of good guy because it was like, oh, he's a tonight and he's there to help and he has been helpful. He's been good for our team, like our our heroes. But there's always been this. There's always been a want. There's always been a a personal want. Um, initially, it was he has a crush on Vin, and I think that's all well and good. And that was I. I don't even know if I should lump it in there with this conversation, but you know that's just part of it. Um, and then it was kind of this like you know, uh, the other heroes are the real heroes because they have these powers to do big things. You know, right. I'm just a ten eye, and then. Now he has the strength of pewter. He's literally the like a one of a kind and kind of a hero to many people now. And yeah, like like we said, it, it's just this uh, seemingly. It looks like it would be a never-ending cycle of wanting more. And if he became a Mistborn, I'm sure he would want to be like the best Mistborn because you know. Vin has defeated the Lord Ruler, you know. She's like the biggest best Mistborn, you know. Stuff like that would be my my prediction if he became Mistborn or, or if that just went further, you know. Yeah. The trying to constantly become Kelsier all all well and good to a point, but Kelsier was a little concerning on some areas of his life. So having him as your role model and people calling you the second survivor, or the survivor of the flames that uh, has some connotation with it. Um, namely revenge specifically on nobles, uh, which coincidentally, maybe not coincidentally spook is fighting against 
that of Quellian. Quellian is all about the rise of the ska. If you have noble blood in you, we're going to kill you. Doesn't matter if that it was you or not. If your great grandparents were one was a noble, you're dead. And Spook is the one standing up against that. So I don't know. There's there's some irony there somewhere. An almost double irony in a sense because Spook is trying to stop them saying, no, that's not what Kelsier is about. You need to stop that. And yet he's following the voice of what he thinks is Kelsier. And I think at this point we've clearly, it's not. And so there's even another layer of irony in that he's telling them, oh, you need to follow the true Kelsier. But is he actually doing that? Right. The speaking of voices in your head, uh, Marsh shows up to Luthadel. I think this is the first time we've been back in Luthadel since the beginning of the book. Marsh shows up in Luthadel and spikes Penrod under the direct order of Ruin. And this this scene came out of nowhere for me because, I mean, I haven't cared about Penrod. I mean, ever, but specifically since the Well of Ascension, we haven't really heard or noticed Penrod. So this one seems weird. It it just, I mean, this means that by the time Ellen and Vin get back to Luthadel, Luthadel may well be turned against them, um, is is the implication here. But this scene was kind of strange to me. seemed odd. If there were interludes in a Mistborn book, this would be an interlude. This one I was not expecting either. And we are going really far down the mind control road, it seems like. We've got Marsh that is completely under the control of Ruin. We've got Kolos, who are completely under control of somebody, anybody. We've got Spook, who seems to be falling under the control of somebody. We've got Zane was under the control of somebody. Now Penrod's under control. Like, feels like we're headed for Ruin can control everyone. Right. Well, and in this chapter, Marsh specifically states who's the one person that Ruin's been after and hasn't been able to get? Ellen? Ellen. Ruin yeah. has tried to get a spike into Ellen multiple times and failed. So that there's an interesting point is of Ellen is or appears to be Ruin's focus as opposed to maybe somebody else in in, in that area. Well, it's not it's not looking good for our heroes. It really is not. Between Henrod now Actually, coming under the control of Ruin to the discussion we just had a couple chapters ago about they're trying to figure, figure out what all Ruin is doing and how do they stop him. Everything is going downhill fast, and we don't even have a plan. Right. We don't even have an objective. We don't even have an idea of what to do to stop Ruin. All, all we have is a hope that the Lord Ruler left one more clue in this cavern that will that will hopefully give them something to to go off of yeah that's all we have at this point 
question. What do y'all think Ruin is after Ellen specifically? Is it just because he's like our prevalent character that's not Vin? Or is there any ulterior motive or an, an additional motive you think as to why he's targeting Ellen? Because I'm kind of like, why? I mean, Ellen is, if he's done, if he's spiked Penrod, do you think he's just going after these, you know, kind of noble position holding individuals? Um, and that is Elland, you know, so that could be it. I don't know if I don't know if the focus is on Ellen because he's the one who's gotten away or if that's like was playing number one and it's just been unsuccessful, you know. I imagine it's Elland because it's been stated multiple times in this book. He is an extremely powerful Mistborn, one of the original nine, quote-unquote, Mistborn. And he has no idea how to control his own powers. I mean, he's getting an idea. He's getting there. But it's always been... It's always been Vin has the focus and the nuance. Elland has the overwhelming power uh, for Mistborn, so... That 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 to me would be target number one for ruin. Into chapter forty three, we are attending another ball, and Vin and Ellen are trying to get down to the storage cache. They show up at the ball, and Vin is getting tailed by two. Um. What it's a smoker and a tin eye. Is that what it is? I don't remember. That there's two there's two Alamancers that are tailing Vin. One's definitely a smoker to to cover the other. The other one it I, I don't remember what the other one is. Um Vin is very impressed with how hidden they are. Right. They are they're doing a very good job of being subtle. She never would have noticed them if she hadn't she didn't have the power she does to to pierce the Upper clouds. Right. And she's also she's also in a couple chapters previous to this, she's beginning to be suspicious that her ability to pierce copper clouds is known. So I wonder if this is evidence in the other direction that they have a smoker there to us in the assumption that Vin can't get past that. But I'm not sure if that's a lot of great evidence. But anyway, she lures them out to a balcony and then beats them up and then hides them in a bush and then runs downstairs. And that's where we end the uh, end the episode. I, I, I chuckled to myself on this scene because I thought it was like almost cartoonish in the way that it panned out. Very well-trodden scene in the sense of lure your tail around the dark corner, beat them up and leave them in a dumpster, like very much a thing, except in this scene, they're in ball gowns. Yes. It's young women in ball gowns doing the, the, the classic scene. And then uh, Slow Swift has two young men who are like, not informants, but uh, assistants to Slow Swift, and they're on Vin's side. And as... Vin is just like beating the stuffing out of these ladies. They're kind of just standing there like, uh, what do we do? 
they're, they're, they're really, I thought that was funny because they, then Vin like starts stripping down in front of them. Cause she has like her ninja gear under on underneath her ball gown. And it's just extremely awkward for those two poor guys. And in the meantime, Ellen is off having this grand debate with Yeoman. Yes. Where all he's trying to do is stall for time so that Finn can go sneak into the cavern, find the door, and and get through it. And my only thought on that was, yet again, Yeoman is almost a good guy. Yeah. Almost. And Ellen gets a sense of this. He has a couple times already. He's arguing with him, and he almost likes Yeoman's side of the argument. He almost agrees with him. But there's just bits and pieces that are not quite there. There's the enslavement of the Ska and other kind of elements that go a little bit under the radar with Yeoman, where he says a lot of good things, but not a good guy. His biggest flaw is just believing in the divinity of the Lord Ruler. So if the Lord Ruler backs something up, then it must be good uh, to Yeoman. Yeah. And so there's all there's some key features of the final empire under the Lord Ruler that he's then forced to defend because he believes in the sovereignty of the Lord Ruler. Well, and there's also along that, that exact same thought train, there's a fallacy that has popped up in a couple of our characters' thought trains of well, maybe the Lord Ruler was actually not that bad. Right. And even in, in the Lord Ruler's messages, in his etchings, he's talking about, oh, I've done so much good for this world. I've worked so hard to get order and peace and laws and all these things. And in a lot of ways, there's some good. And in other ways, it just looks good because where we're at now is kind of worse. Right. We we overthrew the nasty dictator tyrant guy. Um, Oops, we also set free Ruin, the supernatural destructive force, which is making things look worse. And so does the Lord Ruler look okay compared to Ruin? Kind of. Does that make the Lord Ruler a good guy? Anything else before we get to a Stormlight spoiler? I do have a couple of Stormlight spoiler stuff, but anything before that point, gentlemen? We have one chapter to go until the end of part three? Four? Three. Three. At the end of part three. Okay. Yeah. All right. Stormlight spoiler. Gentlemen, we get our first, uh, I want to say canonical, but that's not what I'm trying to say. First mention. In, I'm just going to. Yeah, Literally. but chronological. I, our first chronological chronolog- mention. Yeah. Of Adonalsium in Epigraph 39. I want to read Epigraph 39. It says, Even now, I can barely grasp the scope of all this. The events surrounding the end of the world seem even larger than the final empire and the people within it. I sense shards of something from long ago. A fractured presence, something spanning the void. I have delved and searched and have only been able to come up with a single name, Adonalsium. 
who or what it was, I do not yet know. Is that in your version, Elliot? <laughs> I've been checking all of these whenever you've been reading. Uh, it is. There's like one word difference in, in all of that. So it's pretty pretty identical. We get we get the first name drop of shards. We get the well, it's not capitalized though. Uh, we get the first name drop of Adonalsium. So whoever is writing this is the at this point the most informed person in the Cosmere. Um, we are a little bit more informed than uh, this author at the moment, but uh, still exciting nonetheless. What do you guys think? This definitely caught Maybe my they're... attention. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was saying this definitely caught my attention, like, big time. I was like, oh, my goodness. I started thinking back instantly that, are there other, like, what other places have we heard Adonalsium mentioned specifically? We hear stuff about shards that's not super uncommon, but Adonalsium is is rarer to, to hear. Um question i guess i don't this isn't actually that, that important but don't we get mention of aiden Nalsim by the end of the way of kings isn't there a brief mention of him yes you get i the, thought i remembered mention, in... you get mention of aiden Nalsim like chapter 15 of the way of kings one of oh, the really one of your okay, first i thought it was literally on like the last page no one of your first like anyways one of your first introductions to wit is wit walks in the door sees Dalinar and drops the name Adonalsium in front of him to see if he'll react. And <laughs> Dalinar has no idea what he's talking about because Hoyt's just fishing to see if he's like a world hopper or if, if he's more Cosme aware than he is. And Dalinar kind of just gives him a blank stare and, and then Hoyt says, Oh, never mind. Carry on. So it's it, it's there, but it's it's hidden. Gotcha. Anyways, as far as this being brought up, I mean, like you said, as a as we've seen a lot of the Cosmere, I'm not like in shock. This isn't like something that's brand new information for me, I guess. But it is really awesome to to see it here and see it like specifically talked about and mentioned because while we have seen other mentions, they're they're not always intentional or super deliberate is it may be something offhanded like that wick quote if you were to read this my, go ahead elliot i'm just gonna throw in that my eye as well for sure recognize the the name felt a little bit smug in that i know a lot more about adrenalism than probably your typical Ages reader, if they've picked up Mistborn first, right? This is this is their first name drop of that. Mm -hmm. Where, as ours was, as seen you just described, Trevor, where it drops that name, but we we know a little more about who this is. But it's feeding into my hesitations, my theories, my confusion over who is writing these epigraphs, because it seems very scholarly. We don't see people get into a conversation where Adonalsium comes up unless they're some kind of scholar or historian or someone who is digging into the Cosmere. Right. People like Yasna and Wit and Sezid would be someone. I wouldn't 
too surprised to see, you know, doing research on the Cosmere. But we've been told the very first epigraph of this book was, I am, unfortunately, the hero of ages. Right. So who, who is, unfortunately, the hero of ages and yet also historian of some kind who's digging into the Cosmere should know enough about Adonalsium. I feel like I don't have a character in this book that fits that description well. And they're talking specifically about events in the book. They they use the word we a lot. We didn't know at the time, but we found out later. Blah, right. blah, 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 blah. Right. So it seems like it should be one of the characters in our scenes here coming out of the Coming out of the last book, we were led to assume that Vin is the hero of ages. I cannot see Vin as the author of these epigraphs. It just doesn't fit. She's not the person who would even care to have a conversation about who Adonalsium is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confused at this point. I, ha I have something to add on that, actually. So you say that, and, and you are correct. However, I would actually like to offer Kelsier's name to you as that character that you're describing. While he may not be necessarily like super scholarly, specifically scholarly, he's the one who brings up all these things of like how the world quote used to be. Yeah. How there was like green grass and trees and flowers. Yeah. And, and things like that. And and whenever you look at someone who may be writing about or may know about Adonalsium. I'm thinking it's someone who is, they've obviously been around a long time or obviously are from another world or something like that. Like, like they're not just, it's not just one of our like casual characters in a story um, for them to know and write about Adonalsium. Um, and so I'm thinking well, it would have to be something tied to distant past, maybe. Or someone that we just don't, we haven't seen, or don't know enough about, I guess. Your your Kelsier thought is a very intriguing one, actually. And full Cosmere Stormlight spoilers, you know, into all the information we have. We're pretty confirmed at this point that Kelsier is the leader of the Ghostbloods with the information we have at the end of Rhythm of War. Plus Stormlight 5. Far yes. The, yeah. Was it just Stormlight Five Prologue? I the, think it was just Stormlight Five. No, the no, the name drop is at the end of Rhythm of War. The okay. cameo is at the is in the Stormlight Five Prologue. Okay. Yeah. So no, I'm I'm with that train of thought. Actually, that's that's pretty decent. Of Elsier is not so much a scholar when we saw him in Final Empire. But a leader of the Ghostbloods would absolutely be person digging into that kind of stuff that kind of knowledge so could this be a kelsier that's a bit further along than when we last saw him it isn't as far as we see him appearing in stormlight five yeah totally elliot what are the odds in your head that marsh is the hero of ages right now odds in my head that it's march uh, come on no. Oh, come 2%. on. 1.5. 1.5%? 1. 1. Yeah. yeah, small. Well, that's not 
I mean, so that's not zero. There's a chance. That's not zero. Okay, there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, follow-up question. What are the odds that Marsh lives out this book? It survives. Yeah. Zero. So there's a higher chance that he'll be the hero of ages than survive the book. Correct. Got it. Okay. I'm very confident in that. Thank you for that clip. I will will refer to this later. Thank you very much. Okay. (laughs) Marsh. Yeah. I don't see many scenarios, if any, that Marsh is making it out of this. Can he die a hero's death? Definitely. Right. Does he survive? <laughs> don't think so. Sounds good. All right. Unless you have anything else, we can jump into a Stormlight review. Anything else, gentlemen? That's all I got. Likewise. All righty. As of the release of this episode, we are into 2024, the year of wind and truth. Elliot, I believe, is leading three to one. I didn't check before the beginning of this episode. Is it four to one? It might be four to one. I don't think it's four to one. If it's four to one, then I think it's I, four to two. I think it's two. I have it in my notes. Three. three to one. I have three to okay. one in the notes. Because you held off the point. Yeah, that's right. So at the end of last episode, Paul, you held the point so that it didn't go to Elliot. You tied him. So it's three to one. Yes. And it's not four to one. It's what you... Okay, got it. So Paul's going to lead for our Stormlight review. You ready? Yes. Here is your chapter name. Give me a brief summary of what happened in the chapter. Swordmaster. So this is when Kaladin meets Zyle um, and learns about the shard blades. Learned, like, is ta- Zyle, I think, is tasked with training the men with how to use a shard blade. Um, so yeah, that, and Kaladin grabs it and then he hears the screams. He doesn't like shard blades, all the stuff. Uh, but I think this is when Zyle is introduced. The I'm going to give it to you. You're combining a couple chapters together. But yes, this is when Kaladin meets Zyle. They don't do anything. They just kind of talk. It isn't until like a couple scenes later that they're actually dueling and training. Adolin and Renarin are there and they're Kaladin and Bridge 4 are looking after them. Um, but yes, Kaladin meets Zyle for the first time in Swordmaster 1.4. Paul, would, Elliot, would you have gotten that? I I was going that that was where my head was going to was Val. So I, I think I would have described a slightly different scene, but yes. Nice. All right. Question number two goes to Elliot. Here's your quote ID. Yeah. I have some void bringers in my past too. Maybe that's why I understand you. Maybe that's why you understand me. Void bringers in my past. See, there's a there's a kind of spunky undertone to that quote that I have to attribute to Lyft and her discussions with Void Bringer Spren Windle. Okay. Incorrect. 
What? Paul? So does this have to be correct on who is speaking and who is being spoken to? All you have to tell me is who is speaking. And then I will, ha I will have quote number two for the response if uh, you get this incorrect. Because my guess was going to be exactly what Elliot's was. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like lift to Wendell or maybe lift to someone else. Um, in that case, I wasn't going to ask for this, but could you reread it right quick? Yeah. I have some Voidbringers in my past, too. Maybe that's why I understand you. Maybe that's why you understand me. I'm kind of at a loss on this one. I have a couple of names swimming around in my head. Someone obviously being kind of snide, kind of snarky. Um, I'm going to guess that this is maybe a cheesy little, like, romance teasing bit. I'm going to say this is Adolin maybe talking to Shalon. But I don't think that's fully right, but that's what I'm going to go with. Incorrect. Here is the response. Like you said, we're bridge four. Your problems are my problems. What did the king do to your family? So it's, so it's more metaphorical than it is literal. Is this uh? Is this to me? Back to me. That's right? Elliot. Yep. Is is this a pre-betrayal? Is this a like Paladin and Moash? I'm not sure who's who. But I guess I guess maybe the first one is Moash to Kaladin, and then the second the response is Kaladin back to Moash. Correct. That is correct. Moash. Wow. Moash is trying to. Well, Kaladin is trying to get Moash to confide in him about what's happened in his past with his family, and he's unwilling huh. at this point. This is it's back early words of radiance when Voidbringers is used as like a slang of like cursed right. like they don't have an actual definition of void bringers at this point it's kind of just a slang right it's just like oh i've got demons in my past right exactly yeah dude do, do, I, do I get a point for that or not yep you get a point it's one to one all right thank you all right over to paul for your review i didn't enjoy this one as much as i thought i would the middle drags pretty darn bad is it interesting? Yeah. But I can't bring myself to care about any other character besides Shallan. I think the non-Shallan parts are dragging. Let's just stop talking. This is Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Okay. <clears throat> so middle drags a little bit. Always makes me think. It always t makes me lead a little bit toward... Um, Rhythm of War. Yeah, Rhythm of War. Okay. But I don't think that's quite right. So they said that they didn't like the book as much as they thought they would, right? That was Correct. the beginning of the review. So that makes me think it's not five stars, but they didn't hate it. Um, I'm going to say that they rated this a four out of five. Ooh, and this is this is actually pretty tough for me to say. If they liked the Shalon parts, I'm leaning towards book two or book four. I'm struggling to remember what happens in the middle of 
Words of Radiance. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is Shalon's book. That's true. I'm going to final answer, just stick with my gut, that this is four to five stars, and that this is Rhythm of War. So I think you could still be interested in the Shalon parts of Rhythm of War. All right, Elliot? This... Despite my camera, so I missed all of Paul's uh, thinking and didn't get to benefit from it. <laughs> the uh, book review, yeah. Okay, so they think the nonchalant parts are too boring. I'm going to guess this is past Words of Radiance. They liked Words of Radiance. So now they're disappointed by Oathbringer because they don't think there's enough Shalon. And because it's Rhythm of War, right? Where we come back and really kind of revisit her multiple personality thing. Yeah. So it's it's Oathbringer. It's a two out of five rating. All right. This is a two out of five rating. Wow. For the that way of kings. The Way of Kings, they cannot bring themselves to care about any character besides Shallan in the Way of Kings. You definitely chose this one because you knew we wouldn't we wouldn't guess that book <laughs> it's, on that one. Just makes me smile. I just think it's funny. Mm. Alright. That is two to one in favor of Elliot with the fifth question in tow here. Headed towards Elliot. Elliot, what is the War of Reckoning? War of Reckoning. The War of Reckoning. This is one of those many events in the course of the foreign teaching. It's like the Recreants and TM. War of War of Reckoning. The War of Reckoning. Drawing a blank. War of Reckoning is yet to come. It's a future event. I'm not sure. I think this is like this is like the the for it comes with like the end of the world predictions and like what Dalinar seeing envisions the final battle incorrect yeah not very confident there oh i'm also not incredibly confident but i have a guess i think the war of reckoning is so there there's a lot of mentions i think maybe more so earlier in the in the main story of the last time that the void bringers were sealed away like the last time, you know, those however many years ago. Um, and I think the War of Reckoning was the men and the. Everyone involved, the heralds and everything um, involved with defeating the. The, the Voidbringers way back when. Incorrect. Both of you are overthinking it. This is a trick question. The War of Reckoning is the term used after Words of Radiance for the conflict on the Shattered Plains. 
the the war during the way of kings and words of radiance is called the war of reckoning and is referred to as such in oathbringer and rhythm of war that's tough yeah that's a good uh, refresher for me because i did not remember that there you go absolutely yeah. all right two to one so elliot gets the point for four to one moving into next week and into 2024 any closing thoughts Sean? that's tough i did not think that they would have rated that two out of five that's a tough one scraping by with some of these victories here so i gotta gotta get together or paul's gonna start stomping on me all of them are pretty close we yeah. will re- yep we'll remain four to one moving into next week thanks for joining me paul and elliot see ya sayonara